Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Jason Kate of Hog-Eyed Man. We recorded in my backyard a couple weeks ago when he was in town for a conference. Now, because we recorded outside in Kensington, there's a lot of car horns and alarms and helicopters. I had no idea how noisy my block is. I've lived in this neighborhood for seven years, and uh, I guess at some point I learned to tune it out. But the instruments are mic'd really close, so the tunes are mostly unaffected. Um, Stick around afterwards, and I'll tell you where to find more of Jason's music, both live and recorded, and how to support Get Up in the Cool and get exclusive rewards for doing it. But first, here's my interview and jam with Jason Cade. Enjoy! Jason Cade, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Thanks for having me. And welcome to Kensington neighborhood of Philadelphia. Good to get out of the city center. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So you're in town for a conference, but uh, you've been talking about work all day. It's time to talk about old time. Probably, I would imagine a big group of people who don't know anything about fiddling. I don't know. You know what's funny? So I, well, so this is a, uh, I'm an immigration lawyer. I teach immigration law and uh, um I'm up here for the, the it's a, every other year there's this really big conference of people who do this work. And the very first time I went to it was when I was like just kind of preparing to go on, t- on the job market. And it was, it was uh, at that year um, at Hofstra in Long Island. And I had been told like bring an instrument to this conference. Yeah. 
And so I, I didn't actually bring my fiddle. Um, I can't remember exactly why, but I brought, I brought a banjo and a mandolin. And on Friday night at this conference, and this apparently goes all the way back to when this conference was first held, which I think was maybe like even in the 90s or something, there's a Friday night sing-along. Huh. And, um, and, and, and it's really, really good. Like, it, like we, we, we did stuff like Nine Pound Hammer. All right. And like, you know, John Prine <laughs> stuff and um, all this like classic Bob Dylan kind of things, yeah. you know. And so it's, it's, it's a really supportive, um, like at, it's, as far as like legal academic circles go, uh-huh. I don't think there's anything else like it. Like the people that are interested in doing immigration yeah. law are like way more community oriented. Interesting. And, okay. And so um, <laughs> people, when I show up to it, people ask like, did you bring your fiddle? Yeah. Uh, because like there's like an anticipation about Friday night and like getting together and, yeah. and doing this uh, sing-along thing. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm always interested in the, uh, you know, who plays old time music and why? You know, and especially like uh, the different groups of professional people, like who play old time music and the way that they interface with the music. I think yeah. it's always really interesting. There's always so many IT people who play old time. Like that's like right. a thing that I see over and over again. And the way they interface with the music, like sometimes they interface with it in this like sort of very technical way. And sometimes uh-huh. it's like, no, I do this to get away from that, you know, and then. But why IT? I don't know. I think it's like you can you can stream all the old time music on the internet. Yeah, maybe that's really it. well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's no technological yeah. barrier to it. But there seems to be like a fair amount of people who you know, IT minded people who do old time because there's so many amazing and well kept up uh, online resources like for old time music these days. Yeah. The other thing I see over and over again is um, biologists. I've met multiple biologists uh, who, um, or chemists, who have like quit doing what they do or retire from doing what they do and then just do, just yeah. do old time. You know. Yeah. Well, there's like there is something about. I mean, old time music is is obsessive in in a certain uh-huh. way, and like it it does also require like or it doesn't require this, but it's common to sort of like take a sort of studious approach to it yeah you know so i think a lot of you know you do have like a lot of like well-educated people or people with like science degrees or things like that that get into the music is have there been any parallels in law like the way that you studied law has helped you with old time or vice versa no i don't think so um when i was uh, I, i i did like try to just play fiddle you know um in my 20s uh for maybe like seven years or something um, and that was that was for professionally. Yeah, well, in the sense that like I didn't do anything else for work. Yeah, except yeah, yeah. for um, you know like do gigs and teach teach like yeah. fiddle lessons. Um, and I I was and I and at that time I was really into Irish traditional music. And I was um, I had an epiphany sort of toward the end of, end of that period when I was in Ireland, and like going to um, a lot of Irish music sessions, and there were just like player after player who were, you know, better than I thought I could ever be. And they were yeah. like, they were all, they all had careers. Yeah. <laughs> they were, you know, a, a podiatrist or a policeman or yeah. teacher or whatever. And I was, and it was just like, what am I doing? Like, I'm, I, I, I'm spending all day long trying to be really good at music. And I'm not as good as these people that also have this like other part of their life, you know? Yeah. So it was partly that. And then it was also just like a time in my life where I was ready to like engage with the world in a different way. And totally. um, my, you know, my, my, um, my now wife was like in law school at the time and I liked what her friends, they were really into social justice stuff and I, was, yeah. I just liked what they were talking about and um, the way they were thinking about things. And so I was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to do that too. Like I don't have to stop playing music. Yeah. And, um, and I actually, I, I still like am improving slightly every year, you know, and, yeah. and in some ways, like with more limited time, like I got smarter about it and, yeah. you know, I have a, like a focused like period of time to practice now and then and, uh, I just and I think just being older and knowing more what I what I want out of the music has made a difference too. I felt like I got so much better at banjo after having a kid, and I think it's for the same reason. It's just like f- the pressure of like you know having effective practice time. Yeah, you know it's like yeah. this is the time I got. You know, there's not a lot of time to just dick around and play. You yeah. know, so it's like okay, I gotta. Le- I have this hour while he's asleep to learn this tune, and That's I'm right. gonna do it. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. And for most of us, like our 
are we have some ceiling on our on our technical ability, and so then it's like if you have more time, it just means you're going to learn more tunes, and that's that's really cool. Yeah. But but you know that has to be worth it to you, and and to yeah. me, like just learning more tunes, just after a certain point, it wasn't worth it anymore. Um, yeah, the, uh, some of them start to slough off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just <laughs> how like many it, can you actually hold? It wasn't yeah. enough re- reward for my investment. Right. You know, like I in um, spending all you know all day long like right. thinking about music and doing music, and mostly what was happening was just learning a new set of tunes every week, in, instead of like actually feeling like I was right. improving my skills. You know, and so. And I, sp- I think especially for you because not that you're uh, you're you're not necessarily a festival fiddler. Like you, you've w- gone to Clifftop one time. Yep. And any other festivals? I went to Mount Airy last year. You went to Mount Airy last yeah. year, but that's like not why you play, is necessarily at least at this point in your life. Yeah, or until now. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean it. Because it, um, people who like collect tunes, I feel like often people who collect tunes, it's so that they can share them. Share them at a festival. Yeah. 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 Well, I it's it's true. Like I just I don't know. It's like. Like I said, I was into Irish music at the time in my life that it would have made sense to go to a lot of festivals. Yeah, and um, I I think that this was like in the, the mostly in the late '90s, and I just don't think there was the scene. If there was the scene, I didn't know about it. You know, uh-huh. of young people like interested in old time music. Yeah. Whereas there was like a little bit stronger scene of, of young people interested in, in Irish music. You know, in the South where I was living, and um, and I and I knew those people. Like, and we would get together. You know. It, it wasn't necessarily festivals because we don't have those here, but we would make pilgrimages to Ireland. Yeah. You know, we would like somebody would throw a party in Asheville or in Virginia, and everybody, like in three states, w- yeah. would come to it and yeah. and you know play. Um, but I never. It was like all, for all the time I spent with that, like that never that music never felt like home to me. Yeah. It was just like it was. I I loved it. You know, we had I had lived in Ireland for one year when I was seven, um, and my mom had learned. Uh, had taken Irish fiddle lessons there, and so I had these tapes that she had made, and that was part of like my entry point to it. it was like, and then I studied one one year in college in Dublin, so I had these like periods of time that really got me into it. But I never felt like I mastered it. I mean, not to say I've mastered anything, but like I I really just couldn't, you know, as as fun as it was, as much as I did it, like it never like felt like my music in a way, which is a weird thing to say, but yeah, it's sort of uh, the way I think about it now, anyway. Yeah, and I guess since you grew up in North Carolina, like, not, I mean, obviously, like, old-time music is really diverse and stuff, but, like, so much of the heart of it and the stuff that people um, study yeah. is North Carolina music. Right, and yeah. so the first fiddle music I ever played was old-time music. I mean, yeah. the first music I played was old-time music, because yeah. I, um, as we were talking before, I, you know, I grew up near Bruce Green, like, a, a few miles from him. Did you, like, hang out with him growing up? Um, well, I was, I was a little kid. I mean, I was I was like ten or eleven, you know, at this time. Yeah. Um, so I hung out with him in the sense that I, I for a couple of years regularly went to his house, and he would teach me, you know, the the kind of weird fiddle tunes that he collected in Kentucky. Um, and I, I, you know, we I, I was on I grew up on a little farm, and I would I would we would trade him goat's milk and blueberries that we from my farm for these lessons. I think my parents probably paid him something too but that's, that's yeah. that was my that's what, yeah. that was my understanding of the interaction it was like i you know there's this thing that i helped with on the farm and then i would like bring it to him that's so cool and I, you got to take um, ownership in like yeah yeah the blueberries were like part of uh, our responsibility did that so, like make you feel milking the goats did that make you feel more proud of like i'm asking sort of like as a dad i'm feeling you know yeah we're just right. talking about how to make your kids not hate old time music yeah. you know? like but like uh having that ownership of like oh yeah i'm earning this yeah, I don't know if I thought about it that way at the time, but I, that's definitely kind of the narrative I put on it now. Like looking back yeah. at it, you know, is like this was a thing that I, I did, and it was also they weren't lessons. Like, he, but Bruce, I don't know what he does. Like, if he teaches at a camp, but like with me and the other people that were local in the community that that learned from him, it, he wouldn't like break down a Boeing for you or something like oh. that. It was more just like you would go to his house and sit in the living room, maybe with family around, and uh, he'd play a tune until you until you could play it. Huh. And so I don't I, I don't think I bowed them right or anything you know but it didn't matter um, but yeah that was for a couple of years and you know we 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 performed together once or twice like he would, he would accompany me on on banjo at like the local crafts fair and um, but it was like this thing that it, it didn't occupy like a, a place of like great importance in my life until like 
five years ago, you know? Yeah. So I sort of like always, I had this canon of tunes yeah. and I would run into people who played old time music and they would ask me to play a tune and they would never know the tunes that I played, Yeah. you know? And if they were like a really good banjo player, maybe they, they would just play along, but they would like, they wouldn't have known the tune because it was these, I think now a lot of people know Bruce Green's yeah. tunes, but at that time, like in the nineties and early two thousands, yeah. like, so it, so it never even felt like something that I could share with other people or, or wanted to. And then something changed. Like I was in living in New York and I started just running into people that played old time music more. And um, I was listening outside of that. Like I was starting to myself listen to new stuff that was not just the tunes that I knew from Bruce as a kid. And so I started like recognizing like the old time music's another really good social thing to be involved with. Yeah. And then uh, when I moved to Georgia in 2013, that's I just made a switch and that's kind of like all I've done since then I have a lot of follow-up questions okay but I feel like for the sake of the format of the show we should play another tune yeah but I got a lot of questions hopefully I'll remember after we play Which let's uh, let's play an Asheville area tune yeah so um, this is actually not one I got from Bruce but uh, it's one that comes from Bascom Lamar Lunsford the great folk music collector and manager player and it's uh, rye straw it's a version of rye straw that comes from a little community called Juno, which is um, kind of in between, um, just outside of Asheville, yeah. Or we didn't even tune, but I guess we're in tune together. Sounds good, okay. yeah. Thank you. 
<laughs> cool yeah. rice straw. Nice job picking it up. Thanks. That's cool. Yeah, it's harder. It's harder than it seems. It's deceptive, like it is. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we're, we're sitting outside at at uh, Cameron's house, and you probably can tell from the car car alarms yeah. every once in a while, but. <laughs> But while we were playing that one, the strongest like scent of honeysuckle just like oh, yeah. came over the music. It was awesome. Hey, we got a big old, big old honeysuckle. It was probably grown for like kind of like less friendly reasons than just you know, a, than for the privacy reason. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but well, I mean, it is kind of nice to come out here and not. Yeah, have a little that's bit good of too. divide. You know, well, a but. green, I feel like a green wall of privacy that's made of plants You're right. is an awesome thing. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Yeah. It's much better than a big wooden wall or a stone totally. wall. When you were growing up playing tunes with Bruce Green, did you consider like did you know that this was old time music or did you know what that meant or was this just hmm. bruce green music i don't remember i you know it's funny i have a, there's a few like weird like patchwork memories that that answer that a little bit like i do remember when i first needed glasses like wanting to get old timey glasses just like bruce green had like these Wait, little what is his glasses look like? like little round like just like old school like wire rim round yeah ones you know like and there were a lot of old timers that that's what they that was like the glasses that they had there interesting so something was it and then like you know as soon as i was in middle school did you get is, those i did and as yeah. soon as i was in middle school like right after that it was like beaten out of me it's like what did i do yeah it was like the, the worst mis it was the second worst mistake that i made when it came to glasses the, the worst one was getting those photosynthesis or like i um the ones that, that turn into sunglasses and, oh and, yeah and, I still think those are great, but I could see like feeling self-conscious about them. Well, they don't really work. It's the problem. It's like you you have like half half light that turns them sort of half. Oh dark. yeah, that's a, that's how I remember it. Yeah, you anyway. don't want that. But yeah, so so uh, you know my my mom like I mentioned before was um, one of the things that she that my parents were like back to the earthers who moved mm. to North Carolina you know from basically from cities to uh, to start a farm and um, where did they move from? Uh, different places. My mom had moved, to, had lived all over the place, but they were together in Boston before they came there, yeah. and they had both lived in California a lot. And my mom did a lot of besides like getting into farming. My mom just tried a lot of different stuff. Like she was a journalist for the local paper, and she got into different arts and crafts. And one of the things that she actually did for a, a really long time was try to learn how to fiddle. And she learned um, not from Bruce at all. I'm pretty sure, but she took lessons from this guy named Bard Ray, who. I met a few times and he gave me, I was going to learn from him before I started to learn from Bruce actually, um, but he, he died like, or got, he got too sick before I was sort of ready enough to do it and then he died in the early, in like the mid 80s. Um, but he but gave she me, learned from him. She learned from yeah. him um, and actually I, I know, I, I then learned some of the tunes that she learned from him, you know, just to sort of um, like have that be like a, a hand down, hand me down kind of thing. Did she... Did she want to learn fiddle because of her same sort of like back to the earth sort of mentality of like this is like natural music or folk music? Yeah, like, I think that's sort I, of part of the. Yeah, I've, I've, I can't believe I've never really like directly asked her that, um, but uh, I think so. Yeah. You know, it's. Um, yeah, you know, it's a, it was just an area. It's a really rural area, but also like a, an area full of people like that and like people full of crafts people. Yeah, and so that's yeah, just part of near the Asheville, right? Near Asheville. So like that's like a a very creative. I feel like that's a, at least that city's very creative. Yeah, but to be clear, it was like an hour from Asheville in, okay. a, in a car, um, especially with with the, with the roads what they were at that. Does time. that Asheville vibe? Was it like that back then? And how far did it stretch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the inf it, it had no influence on where I was. Cool. So the okay, yeah, where yeah. I was was like a, a, a Quaker community, mm. um, like a, a community of people who moved there intentionally to like be part of. Um, I mean, there was actually literally like an intentional community, which we were just outside of, but most of my friends were in it. And were you Quaker yeah. growing up? Mm -hmm. I was also Quaker growing up. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Cool. That must be... Why you're easy to talk to? <laughs> <laughs> it's got that, you get the light. <laughs> yeah. 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 Interesting. yeah. And if I was anything now, it's what I would do. But I, uh, That's how I, I feel. Don't know how to fit it in. <laughs> if I was anything now, I'd probably yeah. go back to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah. Um, but this guy Bard Ray was was he, he's he's I mean he's well known. If you look him up, like he's 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 awesome. Um, at least in terms of musically, you know. And, and I, he was apparently like a big practical jokester. And um, there, you know, if you talk to different people from Madison County, where which was the neighboring county to ours where he lived, like he doesn't his his reputation's mixed in some ways. I mean, I think he was in earlier times like very protective of the music and didn't share it the same way that some other elders did. Huh. Um, but I don't, why? I, I don't know. I don't know enough about the story to like to sort of, you know, get into that in great detail. Yeah. Um, but I that was not my mom. I have asked my mom about that, you know, and and others. There are others like you know from our community or area that that also like learn fiddle tunes from him. And it seemed like he was generous at that time of his life. Anyway. Yeah. But he was, he had he had some great versions of like really common things like bile and cabbages down. You know, yeah. like these like things that are just tired chestnuts yeah but that he had like a nice way of just yeah making it like um kind of fresh again yeah so he get the, all i was going to say about it really was he gave me a rattlesnake rattle to put in my fiddle um which is like a thing oh, that old time yeah. fiddle players yeah. do so you know all of that was just like i i think i, mu- I must have been attracted to yeah. something something about it at least didn't turn me off to like wanting to be right you know around those people to like you know have like old timey glasses and a rattlesnake rattle in yeah. my fiddle and uh, you know, and play tunes, and then and then I became a, a teenager and yeah. forgot about it. For but a that's while. that's probably the stuff that like, when you came back to it, made it feel like home. Mm-hmm. But you had to move. Well, obviously you'd already moved away, but like for some reason going to Georgia. Why Georgia? That's what where ha- I got a job. I got it. Oh, oh, what? Why did you start getting back into the music after Georgia? Well, I. Um, so it'd be right. Be- it was actually before I moved. I had started to play with with people in New York, like a little bit of old time music. Right. And so it was that those the seed was planted. And then I knew there was this guy in in Athens. His name is Rob McMakin, who I had met in two thousand two, uh, when he he was in this really awesome world music band called Dromedary, and I was living in Chapel Hill, and I was playing a lot with this singer songwriter named Jonathan Bird. And we we recorded this album together in 2002. So I, I knew Rob. I knew I would really like him. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, it's only gonna be a matter of time before I'm playing music with Rob. Yeah. You know. And I didn't know what situation he was in, but I moved there, and it turned out like he did the same thing as me. Like he did, he played music full time, and then like he became a school teacher, and he has two kids that are the same age as mine. Oh, perfect. And and he and he had no band. Yeah. And I was like, this is like we just knew it. Like it just yeah. felt like this is meant to be. So we played a bunch of times. Um, just playing, you know, trying to figure out, like, what do we want to do? And um, I was like, you know, truthfully, like, I just want to play old-time music. Yeah. And his, his, he, he had played old-time music before, but, and his brother was way into it. So, um, I, you know, he didn't have, like, the deep background kind of that I had in it, but he was, like, ready. And he's, he's just such a good musician that um, that's all we've done. And we've just, playing, we've just been playing old-time music. And he's the other half of Hog Eyed Man. He's the other half of Hog Eyed Man. Yeah. Does he play mandolin? He plays mandolin. Yeah. Um, and he plays and and he so he plays like regular mandolin, but he actually does a lot of cross-tuned mandolin. Oh, cool. Which I know some people do, but I don't think it's super common. And so we do two duets where it's just fiddle and mandolin, and it's pretty full because we're both cross-tuned. Yeah. Um, awesome. And, but his his he's he's a really really good lap dulcimer player. Wow, hell yeah. So um, and this you know that and that's sort of just the sound that I want. I mean, I think in part it's just like because of Bruce Green and Don Petty. Um, and in, and for a while I joked that I don't know if you know, but that's that's his that's Bruce Green's main like partner in music, who's a, who's a lap dulcimer player. Oh, I didn't know that. So I had this joke that like a couple different jokes, but one of them is just that we were like a Bruce Green cover band because we were playing <laughs> playing that stuff, um, not quite as good as the original, that's awesome, uh, or not near as good as the original. Um, and and uh, it was you know it's just a coincidence. It just happened to be what Rob plays really well, and and uh, um, but I also just love the sound. Like it's it's a it's a grooving kind of sound. I think even though I, I don't really like Irish music, um, I don't listen to it as much as I used to, there's certain aesthetics from it that I think are awesome in old time music. They're like open strum, yeah. like, yeah, I just, I like, I like dark does, tunes yeah. a lot, and I like kind of an, like a, you know, an open strum kind of sound, yeah. and um, something that just is not too fast, but has like a propulsion to it. Yeah. And, uh, um, and Rob can play other stuff. He's actually, his, his best instrument is probably guitar. <coughs> It's just that I don't like that as much in a duo setting. Sure. Um, and we do, do we do it more now than we used to. Yeah. Um, and uh, anyway. Yeah. Lap dulcimer. I wish I knew more more people who play old time music on lap dulcimer because it's 
kind of the best. Do you know Hunter Walker? Yeah, I've played with Hunter before. Yeah. He's really good. Ever since I played with him, I was just like, oh, man. He's really good. I want to play with Hunter again. Yeah. <laughs> that was so good. Uh, he, uh, I'm just going to, like, um, talk about my crush on Hunter just playing for a minute. But, like, I can't think of anyone else who, like, who I've played with and I've had more sort of, like, kind of, like, heart flutters. Like, uh-huh. when I play with him, I'm just... Because of like, his, like, alternative voicings and things? Is that what you like Yeah, about it, his or? playing is just yeah. so, I mean dulcet if you will but it's just like so sweet yeah um and uh and yeah it's just so it's not just like his cleverness but his playing but he just like plays so beautifully yeah yeah i've, I've only met him a, um maybe once or twice we played together and it was, it was fun yeah. yeah i didn't know that was an option on lap dulcimer sounding yeah. like that you know or that it could play old time too so uh, yeah yeah yeah, Rob is Rob is is, is really good because he's he's deep about music too, and so he and he's coming at old time music from a different, from an outsider's perspective a little bit, and so we yep. um, it's fun to just talk to him about it, like just to sort of hear what he thinks about tunes and yeah. what's cool about them. Um, and we don't even sometimes we don't even hear like what's beat one. This is probably a common problem, but we don't even can't agree on like what's the first beat of a tune because I love of, I love that discussion. Where, where does this tune <laughs> yeah. start? Yeah. Well, and it's also because you know we we almost only learn from source recordings, yeah. and a lot of the a lot of that stuff was made when the people were were pretty old and not at, probably at the prime of right. their playing. So this, the playing is sometimes a bit sketchy. Right. The recording quality is often really bad, and so there is just some ambiguity just because of the medium, yeah. you know, and, and when it, when it was recorded. Yeah, whenever I listen to like playings of uh, recordings of old Manko Sneed, I'm just like he's the best example of that. I'm just like, uh, what is this? Is obviously incredible, but how could I ever? even begin to think about playing what this is and every time i hear someone play a mango sneed tune i'm just like you know if i go back and listen to the recording i was like that's not what you played yeah <laughs> you know it's like you it's like there's he's just too punk you can't you, he's you, too punk. Yeah. you can't you can't i mean i mean it was you know it's, it's all those things i just said though too it's like he um he's idiosyncratic already yeah. He, you know, some of those recordings, there's distortion. Right. Like, it's hard to make out the notes. And so, very so you can, so no one can really claim, yeah. um, for some of them, no one can really, in my, in my view, no one can really claim to match the original. Right. Like, right. there's always, a, there's always some interpretation that happens and, yeah. and some reconstructive surgery sometimes. Yeah. And, and uh, so that's why, I, that's one of the reasons I like to go to the source instead of to learn it from somebody else. Because they, you know, they had their chance to interpret it. Like, why, why right. shouldn't I get that too? Like, in my body, with my ears, I get I get totally. my opportunity to go there, and I'm not saying I'm doing it better. It's just that's just uh, part of the joy of it. As rewarding as it is to like learn tunes in a festival setting, you are pro- like especially if you're playing in in a group lar- you know, with more than one, even just more than one fiddle, you are learning the mean of the tune. You're learning learning the average, you know, like it's the the group consensus, which is a beautiful thing philosophically. And sometimes it can sort of like wear away at a tune in this way that can like, what is the way to make this tune the biggest and awesomest like in a larger group? That's you know? right. And sometimes that's really, really beautiful. Yeah. But you do, you are, you are learned. There is something to be said for like, you know, those sources and like the Indian thing syncretic nature of them you know and like the things you miss you know like uh, I don't think we're going to play this tonight but like we were playing at Haley's like Indian Ate the Woodchuck you know and it's just like the way that Ed plays it is like yeah so you could never do that in a jam right <laughs> ever <laughs> like with yeah with yeah that's right and you know I and uh, it's all good like I yes. mean there's I, I'm not I'm not expressing a judgment about it whatsoever it's more it's more you're just expressing that, multiple good judgments yeah maybe that's the way I put it <laughs> yeah it's just enjoyable I mean here I mean here's here, here it's just enjoyable to like spend time with the with a source and hear yeah. things that are a little bit foreign to modern music like even more foreign than the than the average old-time tune is yeah. you know and and try to figure out like can, how do they how did he make that sound like what's the bowing pattern what's the like pressure on the bow that did it you know, yeah. why is he playing, like, is it on purpose that he's, like, a little out of tune there? It might be. Yeah. And then the other thing about it, though, is that you know, if you if you do that, and you do that work, and you come up with this setting, and then you go back and listen to Haley again the next year, you hear that you didn't even get it right when you thought you yeah. did the, the year before. So it's a, it's, it's a never-ending journey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I remember the first time I heard um, Polly put the kettle on um, the... Uh, whose version of that? The, the, the Mango Sneed or Marcus Martin one? It was the Marcus Martin one. The yeah. Mango Sneed one. I don't... Forget about that. Yeah. <laughs> this, I don't even know what to do with it. But the Marcus Martin one, first time I heard it, I was like prepping for an episode and then they played it. Um, it was Sasha and Lyle and they just very straight up like leaned into like this is a B natural and I was like I didn't hear that at all in the source recording and then I went back and listened to it and I was like now I can't unhear a B natural from there Mm. you know and then I played it with Matt Brown and he's like yeah I play B natural on the way up flat on the way down <laughs> it was just like oh no i can't unhear that you yeah. know it's like yeah that's uh, cool though that's cool yeah i would like i would like i don't know if anyone's done this but taken a source recording and actually like mapped out the hertz you know for what these notes are like and how to like how does so it now yeah you're right i mean somebody could one of these <laughs> it people needs one of these on it that. people yeah. yeah i'm not gonna do it but <laughs> yeah well that's a great tune that's one of, you know that's a such a classic western north carolina tune and um we, Hog-Eyed Man recorded that, and I and I played the Marcus Martin one, but we actually recorded Bard Ray's interpretation of oh. it, and you could tell he couldn't figure it out. Like he <laughs> yeah, he got the gist of it, and then and and in fact, like a different time, there's a few different recordings from different periods of his life, and they're all like a little different. Too, yeah, you know, and so it's you know it's not like the music. It's not. I would never like claim this music needs to be frozen. Like I'll right. you know when we played, um, the, I guess this is an example of it that I should own up to. Like that Poplar Bluff. Like yeah. that's how I decided to play it after playing the other way for a while, you know, I mean, I switched, uh-huh. we switched the parts, like, I don't go up high, yeah. you know, and I, I don't know why, just like, it's what felt good after a while, you know, and I think it was a good decision. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I like the decision you made. Yeah, thank you. But those things are, you know, those are, those are in some ways fraught choices, like, yeah. because you're, you're making it, you are making the music like maybe a little more exclusive, like somebody who, who can't sort of ne- necessarily sit in that's, that even knows the tune because you right. chose to play it in a, in a kind of weirder way. And so okay. I think it's, um, and also if you don't have an, enough grounding in the music, those choices can end up sounding like something outside of old time music too. Yep. And again, that's fine if, it, you know, but it just all depends on what you're trying to get out of the music and, and present to other people. Yeah, sometimes when I listen to the sources, I'm just like, uh, <laughs> I have that feeling that I've heard other people express of like, he plays too modern, <laughs> you know, like I've heard like, so, you know, some people have that. And then I listen to a source of like, this, this guy's playing like <laughs> some like, you know, new grass stuff, yeah. <laughs> you know, or like, right. not, not necessarily, but it's just like, yeah, the first time I heard Polly put the kettle on, I was just like, yeah, playing a B flat chord in a right. g major tune like what is, you know yeah uh yeah so it's um if you freeze something in time sometimes it sounds like it's like more advanced or like more modern than it actually is like the idea that people have that i don't know yeah yeah let's play the bruce green's durang's hornpipe oh yeah bruce green's durang's hornpipe yeah jake jake phelps is durang's hornpipe jake phelps yeah he's the he's the guy that that uh, Bruce Green got it from. Oh, interesting. So it's Bruce yeah. Green's. <laughs> and Jake actually, Phelps I think Drake's if I'm remembering <laughs> right, and I'm not an historian of this stuff, but I think Jake Phelps got it from Will Stegall. Oh dear. <laughs> so, um, and I don't, you know, who knows? But but the, definitely uh, Bruce got it from Jake Phelps. And Jake Phelps, man, he's he's worth finding on on the internet because uh, his style is awesome. And uh, he, I think he was born like in 1870 something. You know, but mm. he, but that, but will if it's true that he got it from Will Stegall, whoever it was, that guy was born like way earlier yeah. in the 19th century, and so this is an old tune, you know. But it's it, this is one of those ones that to me sounds modern. It sounds and, very, you know, very modern. Yeah, because of the A part. Yeah, and it sounds nothing like the other Durangs, really. No. You know, it's like it's, a, maybe maybe the B part a little bit. I think it's way better. <laughs> I love the other one that everyone plays. All right, now we're going to see if we actually... Because we haven't played we this haven't yet. Tried yeah. it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Should we just go for it? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
think. Yeah, that was rad. Uh, yeah. It's Appar- fun. Apparently, it's... Jody Kruskal taught it to me pretty close. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that one... Uh, the, when, I, the, when I played it with other people, it seems to always pretty much work. I mean, yeah. if you, I think if you learn that version, you know that version, you know? Yeah, totally. What a strange A part. Yeah. It's so great. I think so, too. But that's one that I think is... Um, good without uh heavy chords behind it yeah you know like it's I, although we just we, we recorded that for the for what's going to be the next hog-eyed man whatever it is digital or physical release i don't know um and we did it with a with actually like a pretty full band with um uh, you know we sort of moving beyond the duo yeah how did you chord that i didn't chord it yeah, How did <laughs> I didn't, and I didn't direct the cording. Um, Nancy Hartness, who's a oh, okay. um, lives in Athens with us, uh, with her husband Charlie Hartness, and they have a, a really great band called Hawkproof Rooster, and which is one of the. In, in, I think in a in a um, world of good names, it's like that's pretty good, a really good one. <laughs> and I, uh, I'm just imagining just like a diesel rooster, <laughs> just like <laughs> come at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and, 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 I, and I had a hawk kill one of my chickens not mm. too long ago, so I actually wished I had a hawk-proof yeah. chicken. <laughs> I actually don't want a rooster around, but um, yeah. So they 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 played on that along with um, uh, our friend Tom Breaker on banjo, and so it's a fi- it's a five-piece uh-huh. go at that. And but it actually works pretty well because because Nancy's just got a really nice subtle kind of style. I think you know, um, and Charlie plays uke on it. So it's got this kind of, uh, it's you know I I like the way you and I just played it, and when I do it with just Rob, it's got this kind of cool propulsion to it, and yeah. with with the bigger band, it was like a little more bouncy, yeah, you know, but it was still fun. Yeah. Hogad man, you have, don't you guys have some sort of um, like like fiddle tune kind of like archive that's not part of your like albums or something yeah, i haven't do. looked into that i was like uh, starting to look at your website but okay. i hadn't figured out explain that what what do you guys do we it's a page we call tune journeys great and uh, um it's kind of like it's it's some of the tunes that we've recorded on the three cds that we've made uh but um so it's like it's some of the liner notes that we put around this but just expanded yeah and then with some kind of uh, extra tracks so um a good example um like polly put the kettle on yeah we have like the way we tried to record it uh-huh. in 2013 or 14 or something and and didn't like it but it, or didn't want to use it at that time but it, yeah. even though it had some good qualities and then the way we um ended up recording it yeah um and then also uh some of bard ray's original tracks so you can kind of just click on them and listen to oh, them all cool. like right there together and for most of them, that, that's sort of the format. It'll be like either an alternate take or an earlier take or different instrumentation, and then um, the source recording, you know, and, and sort of what we know about the tune or about some of the people who played it or something like that. Yeah. It's kind of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I got to check that out because, like, uh, my opinions of, like, how I like to play tunes are, like, constantly changing, and, like, that's cool that you have, like, an actual record. <laughs> That. Yeah, I mean, since since we don't do this music for a living, yeah. like I I um at the same time I I want people to be interested in our music. I also just want to make it accessible. Yeah. Um, and so I think at some point, I kind of want to do that with everything we've ever done. Just sort of like it's it's time consuming, and, and so I have to choose like what what to do with my right. time. But it's a good way to procrastinate important things to do. Yeah, yeah. Here and there, and uh, so yeah, I'd like to have like basically everything we've we've put out like put it into the tune journeys or somewhere on the web page, you know, with yeah. just sort of a little more context to it. Cool. Especially since uh, our kids aren't even going to know what CDs are. Nope. <laughs> I barely... You don't even have a CD player, am yeah, I, right? Yeah, I don't have a CD player, exactly, yeah. <laughs> I, I have a, an Xbox, which technically can accept CDs, but I always forget that that's an option. So, so, so like, how, how would you, like, learn about... A, like, if you wanted to know more about a tune... Yeah. And you don't have a CD or a record with liner notes. Like, what's your? I would probably, I would probably see if I can find a source, um, like on Slippery Hill, right. or on um, Brea yeah. College. Um, and then if I can't do that, then I would just like search around on YouTube and see if I can find someone playing it. No, but I mean like not just the 
the way it goes. But the, but, the but information maybe, yeah, behind like who, it. Who played it, like, or maybe it doesn't matter. I don't know. I mean, uh, I mean, they have a fair amount of that stuff on Slippery Hill. I yeah. mean, honestly, they do. Yeah. honestly, doing this show, not that, like, I don't have, like, I have to go back and look, but I don't know necessarily what percentage of, like, my guests are, like, you know, like, kind of, like, nerdy guests who, like, right. you know all the info about the tunes. Like, some of them are just like, yeah, let's just play tunes for fun. I don't know where this one comes from. And some of them are like, here's every version of the tune ever, you know. Right. Or I still have yet to do an episode that's, like, the same tune. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I oh, invite yeah. someone to do that. Ways. Like, hey, yeah. here's the same tune, and here's how this person <laughs> played it. And then on and on. Yeah. Anyway. Um, well, so I get so much of that just from like doing the show, sure. but that's sort of like my main source is just like having these that conversations. Cause like, yeah. I don't even have to like, I don't even have time to go out and look, do my own research. Cause people, cause I'm doing the show and then people tell me things and it's right. like, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's partly cause like we're, we don't know, you know, we, we, we've, we've recorded the material for a new release and, um, we don't even know like. Like, do we make one more physical CD and put liner notes yeah. out? Or is, it, is that, like, era done? And we just sort of, like, you know, put it up for digital download. I don't think it's done for old-time audiences. Well, yeah, that's, like, the, <laughs> right. Which, which is not which, a very big audience. Which is a, which is a way to, which is to say, old-time audience has a lot of uh, the generation that still uses physical media. Right. Yeah. So... Yeah. Um, so, uh, and I've specifically gotten complaints from o- older folks about like my Get Up in the Cool Volume One CD because like it's there's no liner notes. Mm. It's and like the way that there's no track numbers. Like I just put like name of artist and then in a different color, um, like their website, you know, and like or the track name, and then it's just sort of like all scrambled together mm-hmm. and like visually interesting way but in a way that's like inconvenient to, to read you know so it's like I definitely know that the old time audience there's a fair amount of people who are like I want to go to an old time show I want to buy a CD and then I want to read the CD while I listen to it so I think it's worth you <laughs> worth doing <I'm laughs> one gonna, more yeah one, <laughs> more, time. one more yeah <laughs> it's funny because I um this is a little bit embarrassing to admit but I I posted like last December basically the same dilemma I just said to you like yeah. on a you know on one of the like the big facebook pages like dedicated to old time music or something like that oh yeah um like you know do we make another cd or not like is it done and so yeah. it's, it's a pretty long thread like as those posts go like there might be 50 people that like commented on it yeah and, um and the vast majority of them were were like oh yeah i would i would you know i never like download old time music you know <laughs> Um, I, I don't think he would I don't even know the guy although I'm a big fan of his music but this guy Adam Tanner who's a really good musician from North Carolina yeah um, he got in, involved in the conversation and he, he's I think he gets involved in every conversation okay that. yeah I, I, <laughs> that group. I don't know he's an if you, if you haven't heard his music it's it's amazing he's got this yeah. like rap album of rags and things like that on, oh, on yeah. mandolin it's all this B flat and F and C stuff that's re- really well done he says he gets on this thread and he says something like there you have it like a, a general consensus from what we might be the smallest like music buying demographic <laughs> in the world like like is aging old timers who never yeah. changed their music consumption habits years ago when everything yeah. else changed like so go out and make a bunch of CDs with really good liner notes before all these folks die it's you know? <laughs> <laughs> <a> good advice <laughs> but I don't know I think it's, yeah. it's, it's expensive like it's much cheaper just to to uh, make the recording and, and put it online, and uh, even if people are paying for downloads, you know, yeah. like to, to actually make something physical costs costs more money. So it's hard to know. Yeah, it's tricky. I don't have any answers. Yeah, you don't even have a CD player. I think you've got the answers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're just not the ones I wanted to hear. Yeah. O- older folks don't buy LPs. No, <laughs> they buy CDs. I know. <laughs> I know. And they're the ones you can afford to buy all the CDs. I know. Yeah. Um, LPs with download codes is sort of like a millennial like it fad. Is. And I don't necessarily know how long it's going to stick around. Yeah. I've bought m- multiple LPs with download codes at shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just got my record player system going again. So I've been... Yeah. Um, man, I found like my mom's autographed LP of Bard Ray. Oh, man. It's, it's, in, it's in like perfect condition. It's so fun to listen to. Awesome. What are these G-tunes that we're going to do? I don't even remember. I think we're going to play Kentucky Winder. Oh, did. Yeah. Oh, 
So, Salier, Bruce Green, connection. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I have to tell that story. It's yeah. it's pretty well known. Yeah. <laughs> fun that tune is so fun could play it all night and here it comes again <laughs> uh uh so we have one tune left okay um so we've been talking about hawkeye man a little bit and tune tune journeys and stuff but like officially where do people go to uh get your music and um yeah how do people hear more jason um we have a website Hogguideman.com. That's awesome that you got that URL. Not that it was necessarily in it. 
Yeah, it's, <laughs> I demand, but but it could. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't be surprising right. if somehow that yeah. somebody. Uh, but you got it. We got that hog-eyed one. man. Yeah, <laughs> hogeyedman.com. Yep. Um, and you have how many albums on there now? Three. Three albums. Hog-eyed man one, hog-eyed man two, and hog-eyed man three. There you go. Yep. Right. So go check that out. Go get them. They're uh, they're actually mostly not available. I mean, you can get the de- you can download them, yeah. but the uh, the CDs are sold out for the first two. So the third one, we still got a closet yeah. full of it. <laughs> Buy the third one. Let's clear out that closet, <laughs> you guys. Um, Cumberland Gap. Yeah. Um, this is the only Georgia tune in the set. Mm. So you know Alan Sisson? No. He, I've um, heard the name, I think. Yeah, he's 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 from, from North Georgia, like kind of the foothills of the Appalachians. And um, I think he moved to Tennessee for work. And he was recorded in like the 20s. Um, and he, uh, it's it's really cool because he plays a lot of the same tunes as Marcus Martin and Minko Sneed and, yeah. and Bill Hensley and those Asheville guys and you know the Tennessee people that they got tunes from like JD Harris, and so you can just see that and they're all the the weird tunes like Cousin Sally Brown yeah. like Rocky Road to to Dublin, all these tunes that sound like kind of Irishy and or you know like they sound more Irish than blues you know and they're the weird yeah. ones so. I guess it's just neat that there was this common repertoire in the Blue Ridge Mountains, yeah. like that that cross state boundaries. Even it wasn't just like one or two people, you know, in Asheville playing these these strange tunes. It was actually like broader, and maybe there were even more. Like maybe it was just like part of the, you know, those are the people that got recorded. But like probably a lot of fiddle players played them. So yeah. it's just it's just interesting to imagine that time and like. Yeah, it's like what are the like are are. <laughs> The, the assumption is always that people are, like, not nomadic, right? And it's like, oh, yeah. But then you forget that radio still existed then, you know, um, at certain times. Yeah, you know, totally. At a certain point. No, and totally. then and people are all, always walking around and moving around, like, constantly, you know. And so it's, like, way less separate. Yeah. I think I think like travel think. was, like, way more common even, like, in the 19th century than people, yeah. you know, sometimes have said about Right. fiddlers and where they got their music from so anyway this one is, is, a, is his version of Cumberland Gap which is real similar to the way people in Asheville played it around that area um, but it's got a few little quirks thanks for being on the show Jason sure man thanks for having it's me lovely
All right. Cool team. That was really nice. Go to hogeyedman.com to buy their albums, find out when and where they're playing next, and check out their tune journeys. Their latest tune journey is Wiley Law's tune, where they compare Mako Sneed's version to his son-in-law, Jay Laurel Johnson's version, and then to their own. It was really neat to hear them all back-to-back. And they break down some of my favorites that I've had to learn for the show, like Polly Put the Kettle On and Johnny Court the Widow. It's some really neat work they're doing, and I especially appreciate how accessible they made it. I suspect I'm going to be exploring that blog a lot in the future. Oh, and make sure to like and follow Hog-Eyed Man on Facebook so you can stay up to date. You can support Get Up in the Cool by liking and following the Facebook page and joining the Facebook group. Those are the best places to contribute to the conversation and pull people in. I also need more five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts to increase the show's visibility. So if you have a minute, give me, give me some stars. If you find yourself working your way through the Get Up in the Cool back catalog while you wait for new episodes, that may be a sign that this show means something to you and that you'd like me to keep making it. The best way to ensure the longevity of Get Up in the Cool is to support the show on Patreon. Just go to CameronDeWitt.com and click the Patreon button. Then choose a support level that works for you and get cool rewards like on-air shoutouts, weekly bonus tracks, online banjo workshops, and access to the Get Up in the Cool tune archive. If you want to download every tune and song ever played on the show, conveniently tagged and organized for your digital music library. Out of my 100-ish Patreon supporters, about a quarter have paid for this reward, and they currently have about 40 hours of music, and the archive grows every week. I have the whole thing on my phone, so I can just pull up a tune whenever I want. It's kind of become my main resource for learning old-time tunes. Anyway, thanks again to all my Patreon subscribers. I started something unsustainable, but you guys keep it going. Thank you so much. Another great way to support the show is to go to CameronDeWitt.com and click the store button. There you'll find the Patreon rewards available for purchase in bulk. You can pay a year in advance at a discount price. It's get up in the cool Costco, basically. And because you're paying all at once, I can use that money to directly improve the show. Like, I really want to buy some new mics before I go to Clifftop, if possible. Clifftop is where I record some of my best episodes, but it's also where I conduct my noisiest interviews. So it would be great to upgrade to some microphones that would simultaneously make the music sound sweeter and push the ambient noise further into the background. So please consider that option as a way to support the show. Also in the store is the personal or promotional telegram service. Basically, you can write something for me to read on air. It could be an inside joke to another old-time buddy, a happy birthday, or ad copy for your crowdfunding campaign or business. That'll probably end up being microphone money, too. Make sure to check out my other podcast, Think Outside the Box Set, available wherever podcasts are found, and hit me up for some Skype banjo lessons. That's all for now. Everything I mentioned in this outro can be found linked in the show notes and on the show's Facebook page. Thanks for listening, friends. Come back same time next week to get up in the cool.